to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Get 15% off any DIR 101 course and introduction to DIR and DIR floor time through ICDL.com by using the promo code AFFECTA15, that's A-F-F-E-C-T-A-1-5. Hello, I'm Daria Brown, and this week we have Juliana Ross. She is a DIR music therapist and the head of creative arts department at PCDA, Professional Child Development Associates in California. Today we're talking about the unique creative arts programs offered at PCDA, including music therapy, where they emphasize working closely with parents and creating many opportunities within their services to foster the parent-child relationship. All of their music therapists have completed their introduction to DIR, Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model, and John Carpente's training on orchestrating effective relationships in musical play, a DIR floor time-based music therapy approach for children with um, on the autism spectrum. And you can refer back to my podcast with John Carpente uh, about music therapy and floor time, which I'll put a link to in the blog post. Welcome, Juliana. Thank you so much, Daria, for having me. I couldn't wait to do this interview. And so thank you so much. Christopher Perry, who I sort of met on email a bunch of times, um, connecting with him and hooking him up with different DIR people, he suggested that we do a podcast together. It must have been a year and a half or two years ago. And then with the pandemic and everything, it just kept getting pushed back. So it's great to finally hear about all of these creative arts programs because there's lots happening and I'll be eager to hear what was going on, what happened during the pandemic and what's happening now. So what, what is, tell us about the creative arts program. To our surprise, we, during this last year, we found out that um, we're actually one of the largest uh, clinics in the US providing DIR floor time services. And um, we serve over 500, almost 600 families. Um, I work on, a multidisciplinary team. Um, we, our department is creative arts and all of the clinicians in our department are board certified music therapists. We have been working endlessly uh, throughout this pandemic. And uh, one of the great things I just wanna share during this, this blog is about all the unique program, programs that we've developed over the last five years. We've um, not only provided music therapy services, but we have um, adapted music lessons. We have a adapted notables choir, they're called the notables. Um, and we also have a drama program that's called the Young Actor Squad um, that's led by all by amazing clinicians and teachers. Um, not only do we have staff that's you know, certified and trained in their clinical fields, but they also have these extracurricular skills that has allowed them to be able to lead things like the choir, or um, they've been able to um, lead drama classes because they take improv on their own. And so being able to replicate that at PCDA has been such a beautiful and unique experience, especially because we're bringing in DIR and the floor time strategies into the work that's being done. So super unique, lots of different components that make this um, one of a kind, but also I'm here to say, I think we everyone should be doing this. And we hope that 
um, you know, parents feel like they can approach these programs with excitement because, um, you know, there's exciting stuff happening. What is the population that you serve? Is it just for children on the spectrum and what age group? Certainly. So we see um, children zero to 25 within music therapy services. Um, we even work with older adults um, that live in um, special homes. We do special education classrooms, K through 12. And yes, we do, the majority of our population um, is children with autism, but we also serve a lot of other children that have um, uh, global developmental delays or other kinds of disabilities, whether physical or neurotypical. So uh, we, we've sort of expanded and, and really just try to, you know, include all families and all children of all abilities and the things that we do. Yeah. Um, so um, in terms of our programming, um, one of the wonderful and unique things is that it, during every music therapy session, we always try to include the family um, or the parent within the session. And so it's, it's sad to think about it now because we're not in the clinic, but if you were a year ago to walk through our clinic, we have, uh, um, you know, you can kind of look into the room sometimes, although we only, it's only the clinicians that look in sometimes, that you can see the families gathered on the floor with instruments and we're all just playing together. Um, and so that's already just a really beautiful thing. I think being able to include parents in the sessions and being, you know, obviously the clinicians are really goal oriented, but when you look into the room, it's, there's just fun and play happening. And the clinicians thinking about how are we meeting these social, de emotional, developmental goal areas, but the family's not seeing it that way. They're just having fun singing together. Um, and I think that the wonderful thing about having a multidisciplinary team at PCDA is that down the hall, you have a speech session happening, or um, on the other side, you have OT, the OT gym, and then you have feeding, and this is all happening in conjunction all together. So we actually treat families that are seen by various other departments. The wonderful and great thing about that is we can consult on a treatment team together and really talk about, you know, what we're seeing within all our different therapies, what a child looks like in a music therapy context and then what they look like in OT and speech. And sometimes you find that there are differences and then we, you know, you're, you're figuring out, oh, well, you know, they don't, in OT, they don't have to use as much language or maybe their bodies is, are more involved. So it's sort of, you know, you can't really do two things at once. And, and then in music, you know, you kind of see the marriage of everything coming together, um, the child, um, is incorporating the skills that they learned, um, the new words that they, they started speaking in speech or the new skill that they acquired in OT. Um, and it's just, a, like I said, a very unique experience, especially for the parent to be able to see, wow, you know, here's my child in all these different contexts. And I have a team that really understands um, where they are developmentally on the milestones, what their individual differences are and how they're meeting those needs um, in music is similarly as in speech. Um, so those are just a couple of things that I think really set, set PCDA apart and 
um, in creative arts in general, because, you know, normally you, you see music therapy um, as a standalone service that music, therapies, music therapists provide. In California, I don't really know many programs at all that, um, that offer music therapy services within a multidisciplinary team setting the way that we are able to. Um, and so I just, I love the team that we work with. We have um, such tenured staff. We have uh, speech pathology, uh, head of speech that's been there for over, um, you know, 10 years. Um, our clinical director, um, Julie Miller, who's an occupational therapist, has been there over 15 years. The uh, head of child and family counseling um, that's been there for so many years and is incredible, um, Dr. Brandt. And then Ann Davis, she's like a speech guru, AAC genius. <laughs> and you have all these things at your disposal, you know, that creates this environment where you, know, you as a music therapist, you really want to push yourself and figure out how does music therapy fit or how does music and art fit into this child's overall treatment? What is the importance and the significance of having something like music? in their lives or having, you know, parents learn how to use music um, to engage them. And I think for me, it's, it's the affect, it's the fun. It's, and I, I, I was, I went, I recently attended um, Perfectum conference um, and we, I was like, what is affect? Like what, you know, always, how do you, how how does music therapy fit again into this idea of affect? And I, I really think it's they're one and the same. <laughs> I think that being able to play music with children helps identify all kinds of ranges of emotion, whether they're good and positive or they're sad. And the way that we can interpret that in music is really magical because you don't need words to express that. Um, so if I'm playing like a really grungy chord or like a really dissonant chord, the child can feel that. And it can be mirrored by something that's like they're trying to do or a toy they're trying to get into um, this little, you know, they're trying to put together and it's not working. And I can, you know, oh, you know, that affective piece and bringing the music into that. I'm like, oh, it's not working and strumming on the guitar. Um, and they, all of a sudden they're like, oh, you understand. <laughs> you understand. I don't necessarily understand the language and the words, but I can understand the, the language and the words when it's paired with the music. Oh, that's what that feeling is. And I can call it this. Um, so music, I think, is is such a bridge for, I think, a lot of the other services that we provide. It's really an ideal setting, and it's what's spoken of in the book Engaging Autism by Greenspan and Weeder. And it's one of the earliest blogs that I did called What is an Ideal DIR Fuller-Time Program Look Like? And it's exactly what you said. It's a multidisciplinary approach with all of the different services under one roof or at least um, coordinated in a way that the therapists communicate with each other and they all understand the D, the I, 
and have that relationship that they've fostered with the child and having it all under one roof, especially for children on the spectrum who um, sometimes have a hard time going to new places when they're familiar going to the same place every week. Oh, this week, you know, I'm going to this place, but this week I'm seeing the occupational therapists and today I'm seeing so-and-so and, and I imagine you know them by name because you see the same person every time and you form a relationship and having that music therapy be part of it is so wonderful. And it and also what you mentioned when you talked about the music therapy was seeing families. So right away I was like, oh, okay, I expected you to talk about one-on-one -on -one with a child and a parent, which you might also do, but you mentioned a group setting, which um, is also something very fun. And I'll refer people back to a podcast I did with Christy Gozi about doing floor time with siblings in small groups, which wasn't specifically including music, but just in general, that process of floor time within a group setting. And um, and just even a couple weeks ago, talking about DIR floor time summer camps where uh, Rosemary White talked about it as well. So it's it's really interesting to hear that. So I'd love to hear more about that too in the context of not just the music therapy, but the other arts programs you provide. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm, I'm so far, I just scratched the surface on music therapy, um, but yeah, we absolutely love it when families come in and they, their siblings involved and you really get to see the dynamics um, in the family. You know, it's, it's, it provides so much information about how that child interacts because these are the people that, they, that the child trusts and you know, they have a relationship with. And so we want to cater that and use that relationship piece. Obviously, it's so important that we know about DIR to be able to address some of those social emotional goal areas. And one of the really great advantages that we have as music therapists that we learn during undergrad and through practicum and internship is how to lead groups. And it's not always easy to meet every you know we have siblings a lot of the time that like don't want to do that or they want to do this and so there's you know there's a little bit of tension or like a little bit of friction between siblings but you know when you've been doing groups for a long time and you're facilitating especially a music group you learn how to incorporate everyone's ideas and almost create like a group goal. So you're, you are focused on the child and creating that experience, but you're also really focusing on what are the needs of the group right now? And how do we create cohesiveness in this, in DIR, how do you create shared attention and engagement? You have to start with, is it motivating? Are they interested? And start there and everything kind of just builds after that. Um, and there's just a very natural arch to all music therapy sessions with it, which is you always start with a hello song and you kind of introduce, um, you present act, an activity for everyone to join in together. Then you might do uh, like a movement-based activities because as we know, children don't want to sit for the whole hour. <laughs> so really thinking about okay, so what are the individual needs of the group? Does it look like people need to stand now? How is how, you know, what are the facial expressions on the parents? Are they comfortable? You know, we often tell parents, you don't have to sing if you're uncomfortable, but your voice, your, I always tell parents, your, your voice is the most motivating, beautiful voice for your child. Even if you think you're singing at a key, 
that you're the voice they have a relationship with. It's not mine. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of parents, they're intimidated because, oh, well, I can't sing like you guys or I can't play guitar. And I'm like, that's really not, you know, that's not what it's about. It's, it's about creating these moments, these shared moments together so that you feel comfortable using your voice and doing the movements together. And so really what we're trying to do with this family piece and the parent piece is we're trying to empower them to feel like they can do that at home, not just in the context of a music therapy session, but at home. And so I've been able to um, hear from parents that, you know, oh, we, you know, we, I just put on music. I put kids bop on and we danced around the living room. I'm like, great. <laughs> That's exactly what we want. You know, you, you should have permission to do that as many times during the week as you'd like. I wouldn't mind adding here. I, I brought this up with John Carpente in our podcast for people that are listening that maybe are new and, and are just finding out about floor time and they hear music therapy they might have the idea that it's about teaching music and getting our kids to be musical, but it, it's, that's not the focus of floor time music therapy. Um, it, you know, like you said, the parents might feel awkward if they sing off key or whatever, but it, it's not about teaching the children how to play music or lessons. It's, it's about getting that shared attention and, and having shared joy together and, and that effective experience, that emotional experience. And some kids might be very musical and they'll go on to learn musical stuff and other kids might not at all. Um, my son and I love listening to all of his songs that he likes, like the PJ Masks soundtrack songs. And now we're into Mario Kart songs and everything. And he loves to sing along. And I always change the words to match whatever his current interests are. So. He started singing, We he knew all the PJ Masks songs from the last couple of years, but instead of singing I'm Night Ninja, we're now singing I'm Bowser from Mario Kart because it's the song about the villain. And he sings off key and he sings off time and it's, it's not easy for him to keep the beat or anything like that, but we're just having fun together and it's that shared experience that it's about. And you can add to that or, or uh, correct anything I may have misspoken of. <laughs> No, you're spot on. I think, um, yes, music therapy is not about learning an instrument, but, and even, you know, your child doesn't have to be obsessed with music to benefit from music therapy. Um, but I absolutely think that music has this ability to, to connect in a way that is pretty instantaneous. And um, it's kind of like a shared language, but without really needing to understand a lot of the language, but rather it's, it's, um, it's auditory, it's multi-sensory really. And so you're, you know, you're almost listening to the same thing. You're, you're connected, you're, you're singing together and um, in beat together. Um, you know, there's ton, many studies that, um, uh, music therapy studies that follow drumming groups and they find that their heartbeats after a certain amount of time when they're drumming together, their heartbeats are actually in sync and their breathing is in sync. And so you think about, you know, the physiology behind listening to music together and the, that experience and how you become, you're in sync, you know, in, in music therapy, you know, we, it's all about being in sync with the client. 
Um, and I think, yes, absolutely. The, what you were talking about, about singing a song and changing the words to it and it's not it, it not being perfect or in the right key. Um, we encourage that all the time with parents because you can take a song like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and sing about going to the bathroom and you'd be surprised of how like what a great um, transition song that could turn into because it's a familiar and predictable and sometimes going to the potty is scary but when you pair it with a song that's familiar and you have you have positive memories associated with it it becomes a whole new experience um so in in music therapy we call it piggybacking you take an original song and you change the words to it and um and that's always fun I'm, I'm actually teaching one of the families I work with how to do that now <laughs> and I just send them little clips um, on, you know, this is a bathroom song and this is a song, you know, this is Twinkle Twinkle, but how to put your shoes on and just make it up. <laughs> yeah, I know at my son's nursery school that he had gone to, which was not floor time or anything, but they it was specifically for children who had um, developmental, either developmental disabilities, diagnosed or undiagnosed or uh, some kind of areas of concern. And so um, they used to use songs for every transition, and that really, really helped my child be able to transition because transitions are some of the most challenging times for most most of our kids. Definitely. I mean, you'll you'll hear some of our music therapists again before COVID, <laughs> and I can talk about what COVID looks, you know, what telehealth looks like now. But before COVID, you could hear our music therapists singing while guiding the family down the hall just to be able to kind of it's like a primer um, to help the child anticipate and as we know milestone two if you're talking about engagement and being able to engage the client children really need to be able to anticipate and know what's coming next so that they feel prepared for that engagement and that interaction um, and so music can be such a great part of that while it is a little bit structured to sing, you know, okay, we're going to sing this song when we go to the bathroom. Um, I, I still think it's fun to, you know, change, you know, you can always change the affect of a song. It could be fast. It could be slow. It could be loud. It could be really soft. If you're trying to um, communicate a, um, a quieter, more calming uh, experience in that moment. So, you know, that's, that's the beauty of, of that is you really can manipulate it. And, you know, it seems intimidating because there's so many components, but really once you do, you know, join a music therapy session and you watch the therapist sort of model these things, it kind of, it makes sense. And it's, you realize that you actually do this when you communicate with people all the time. You know, we often match when you're standing in front of someone, you often match their posture or um, their energy. And it's the same kind of thing with music is you're using um, what we call the ISO principle in music therapy. It's, it's basically following the child's lead in you're matching them where they're at and then you're taking them to where you want them to go, right? So you always wanna match first and then move to a place of calm. So let's say we're starting really high affect then you might want to, okay, you know, we're, 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 
the music's going to, our hello song is going to start a little bit energetic because we're feeling really tense right now. But then I'm going to slow it down as I sing it. <laughs> and, or maybe the song that I sing after might be a little bit slower. And so I'm going to try to bring it down, not fast, but slowly, because the child needs us to be patient and follow their pacing and read their affective cues and their, and their postural cues to see where they're at. Um, and those are the little things that we, we try to um, identify in the session and, oh, look, mom, look how he's facing you now. Or, look how calm his shoulders are down. And so you really try to pinpoint those, those nuances in the session so that the, the parent can be more aware and essentially be um, the leader in the session. The parent is always going to be the leader. So we want the, them to be the leader at all times as much as possible. <laughs> right, right. So tell us about some of the other creative arts programs you offer. Yeah, so uh, we we do adapted music lessons, um, which, you know, having a child with a disability might make you feel like you can't join typical piano class or a typical choir or a typical art class. And so we, you know, the purpose of creating something like adapted lessons was for children to be able to learn an instrument with a trained music therapist, but in an adapted way. So let's say your child is really interested in the instrument, but they have a really difficult time sitting in front of a piano for 30 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. It's really hard for them, but you, you know, we still notice that they have this this they gravitate to the instrument and they really want to learn it but they don't have the sensory <laughs> capacities to be able to sit for that long well we incorporate different strategies like teaching an instrument or teaching rhythm on a drum by not sitting at the piano so you can walk around the room and all of a sudden we're marching to the beat or um we're teaching um we're teaching different rhythms on a drum. So you, you know, we could take a mallet and I can teach you about how to play eighth notes um, while playing on the drum. So it's very non-traditional and it doesn't look like your traditional piano lesson. Um, so we want, we want to be inclusive. We want to say, hey, you know, your child can learn an instrument too. And yes, we want to work towards being able to maybe sit and play a five minute, three minute piece on piano for one of our recitals. And that's the other thing is we do, um, we do music recitals at PCDA twice a year that are completely adapted, no pressure. We even have a sensory space, like a backstage performing performers area. So, you know, if children are feeling scared to go on stage, you know, they can go there. Um, the music therapist is always by their side if they need it. And of course, the parent is always welcome to be in the session and part of the performance because maybe the child feels safer that way. And so, you know, we're taking all these conventional rules and we're totally flipping them around and saying, hey, it's okay if you want to be in the room. It's okay if you want to choose the next song on piano. Let's have mom choose this next song. Um, choir is similar. So, I should mention that adapted lessons in choir, we're really focusing on more of those musical skills rather than music therapy. But um, I think by having a music therapist lead these activities, 
they really have the training and understanding uh, for the child that has autism or the child that has some sort of other uh, physical, um, you know, challenge that we could figure out how to consult with an OT about or, you know, and so we're really, the goal is to teach them song, but the way you get there is gonna look different. It's gonna look like a music therapist really has to identify how to break down these steps and create like a program analysis of, okay, how do we, you know, how do we get this client from point A to point B in the way that best suits their individual needs and their current, where they are currently developmentally. Um, in, uh, I'll get to choir. Um, choir is fantastic. It's amazing. <laughs> Our teachers um, is Sarah Martinez, Ana Needham. They are the A-team of <laughs> choir teachers. Um, they, it, it all started out because we got uh, Dr. Diane Cullinane when she was at PCDA. She got asked to um, maybe you know, put together a group of children for our 4th of July spectacular at the Rose Bowl. And she was like, well, let's make a choir. <laughs> so she came to me and I was like, oh boy, um, how do we do this? So, um, you know, I presented it to the team. And at the time, uh, Sarah Martinez, one of our music therapists was there and Anna Needham was fresh out of internship a music therapy internship and they're like, we'll do it. So we recruited a group of 10 kiddos um, that started to rehearse in our small conference room <laughs> and they started to do sing Star Spangled Banner. And uh, we had, I mean, varying abilities. We have children who, um, I shouldn't even say children, we have a teenager who was like, just singing every single word in the song, beautifully, great voice. Um, we had other children who were nonverbal that were like, yeah, let's make this happen. So they would hum along and then we, you know, they, they got to wave the flag. Um, so the way that the choir looked because of the families that wanted to join and the children that were there, were like this, there are no rules any child can join. The whole idea is for us to be as inclusive as possible. And the, and the goal is for the music therapist to try to figure out how to make it happen and how to create a performance based on the abilities of these children. And so it was very successful. We did the 4th of July Spectacular for three years in a row, um, which is kind of a huge stage <laughs> for, um, for, for, you know, anyone really. And then, you know, you're, you have these, this group of like 10 kids that have never been in a choir before. We've had kids that were turned away from being, or I shouldn't say turned away, but maybe discouraged from joining a traditional choir at school, or they just didn't have the individual support to be able to join a program like that. And so we're like, we have to keep this alive. We have to continue this. And so from that 4th of July performance, the choir was born. They're called the Notables. <laughs> um, and since then they've done such amazing things out in the community. Um, they've been part of the Eclectic Music Festival, our Pasadena Playhouse block party. Um, and um, they perform at all, uh, some of our fundraisers for PCDA. And so it's a performance group really is what it is. and. Um, if you've ever been in band or if 
anyone's ever experienced performing, there is such a rewarding experience that comes from being able to perform for people and for your family and for them to be able to see you on stage and clap. And that is just an extra piece to this whole thing that I think has really built a community with at PCDA and within creative arts. We have all these families that join the choir every year, even through telehealth, we're somehow managing to lead a choir. Um, and they just come back every every year and they're always excited to join and um, learn new dance routines. And if you watch the first video of the choir till now, you're going to see a huge growth. Um, so we're we're just delighted at, you know, what we've what this department's been able to accomplish and, um, you know, the support that we get from our entire uh, PCDA staff is also great because they all come to the performances and they get to see the kids that they work with in speech. <laughs> and they're like, whoa, this is great. <laughs> uh, um, seeing them in a different context is just um, fantastic. Um, so that's one performance group. And then the last uh, uh, service that we provide is the young adults, or sorry, our drama program, which is the Young Actor Squad, they came up with the name, <laughs> which was um, very much DIR floor time-esque that they came up with their name. And um, that group is fantastic. I would say that's the newest program that we offer at PCDA. Right now we have a group of six teens that are involved. And that is led by um, Kristen Williams, who's our associate marriage and family therapist. Uh, she's in child and family counseling department. So she has this extensive background in improv and she's fantastic. I've seen her perform and she's wonderful. And what she's able to bring to the group is DIR floor time, her marriage and family therapy background, although it's not therapy, but she does have just an incredible way with the teens being able to communicate. Um, and of course her amazing talent at improv. And then the second uh, teacher that we have leading that program is the head of our speech and language department. Um, she's Ann Davis. I talked to her, talked about her earlier. Um, so she also brings this very amazing perspective to the group because improv is a lot of communicating, communication and communicating. And so she looks at it in a totally different scope and her working in conjunction with um, our head of, uh, or sorry, um, Kristen, who's an associate marriage and family therapist really provides this unique and specialized experience that I think makes the group super successful. Um, and drama is one of those things that the, the improv group is one of those programs that it takes what a traditional improv class would provide, which is, um, doing improv, improv, like sketch type comedy, but it breaks it down into a more simple format where the teens, the first concept they learn upon and beginning the group is yes. And. 
and yes and is a you know a, a very um, popular saying with actors and people that do improv because you always have to follow um, what the other person says. You know when they if they say oh I I'm making a peanut butter sandwich then you have to do say something that's related to that and if you know obviously this takes much higher milestones and level skills but if you're really thinking about it, this is what our teens need. When they're teens, they need to find ways to connect, build bridges, that milestone five and six, and really try to um, elaborate on those symbolic ideas. And, um, and the way that this happens in the group is just, it's so cool. They are so motivated and excited to join and um, you know, they're working on all of this, in, including social pragmatics. So be not just saying words for the sake of saying words, but saying words that have meaning and connect with what's happening in the scene, um, like getting lost in the woods <laughs> um, or, you know, and they've done see they've done all kinds of scenes together that are just like so funny. I'll direct listeners to uh, a link in the blog post that the Rebecca listener from the Rebecca school, they had the, they had this podcast for a while. I, I haven't seen a new one in a while, but I think the most recent one that's posted is about improv and DIR floor time. And it's fabulous. It describes what you just talked about in a little bit more detail. So I'll, I'll put um, a link to that. So listeners can check that out as well. It's, it's a short podcast. It's, it's great. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's, certainly something that I think more, like I said, more, more people should know about this, more clinics or programs should incorporate, incorporate this into their curriculum or their programming. Um, it's just, it's beautiful to, to, to be able to be able to offer all of these programs. Of course, our department does a lot of uh, fundraising and grant writing to make these things possible. It doesn't just come out of thin air, but um, I think we've had so much support early on from Dr. Diane, Dr. Diane, um, Dr. Cullinane, um, she had this vision to create this clinic that just had all these different components. And you know, I just talked to you about one department, and we have all these other departments that just you know, our feeding program is ex extremely innovative as well, and OT and speech and all the things that are happening. Um, even in in our programs department, we have early intervention services. Um, social skill services, teen club services. And when you look at the clinic as a whole, you notice that your child can start in, you know, in a programs service, like early, like early intervention building blocks program. And they could probably spend their, you know, first 18 years of life getting different services within one place. And that's great in the sense you have a relationship. You know, you talked about having this relationship with the clinicians, but just having a relationship with the agency and like being able to go to a place you really trust, um, I think is is pretty powerful. And um, yeah, I think it just makes me grateful to to be able to share all of that with you and and, and anyone who's listening because I, I think uh, we need more things like this. I know I'm thinking about all of the major clinics in the Toronto area where I am and just what would it take to make them all 
floor time based. It would be so wonderful if they could be more floor time based instead of behaviorally based. And it sounds like it, you know, really just takes one dedicated person like Dr. Diane Cullinane was to get it up and going. And um, yeah, I mean, I think the movement is started towards developmental approaches. Dr. Fader and I talked about that on a podcast before. And and you really brought a lot of um, topics into one podcast, not just the benefits of music therapy and just creative arts in general, but then the aspect of bringing in families and, and having families be a part of it, which is such a big part of floor time, if not the most important part of floor time, since it's parent mediated. And then also the idea that we spoke about earlier of the clinic where it's all housed under this umbrella of DIR floor time services, where everyone's speaking the same language and, and understanding all of that. And yeah, it's wonderful. Um, and I had spoken uh, to a couple of people uh, in another podcast, uh, Donnie Welch and Tanya Steinfeld from the Rebecca School called Art with Heart, I think it was called. And they spoke about their arts program that they did during the pandemic where they just drew or did crafts or things like that online. And just all of these programs are just so wonderful for our children who, like you said, are sometimes shut out of the mainstream programs. And even if they aren't shut out and they're welcome, as parents, we don't feel good there. I, I spoke years about years ago in a, a blog post I did um, about my son's experience going to a, and I don't even remember what it was. It was some kind of toddler group. And, you know, he just wasn't interested. He kept running out of the room. And, you know, the parents are like looking at me like, why is he running away? Like, or, you know, oh, that mom, it's hard for her. She can't keep control of her child or whatever you perceive that other people are saying about you. And it's just an unpleasant experience. And so having these groups that are more inclusive and just more understanding of DIR and the I, the individual differences and our kids' sensory profiles, it's just such a different experience for families. So it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate you saying that too as, as a parent because we always want to make the parent feel comfortable and never ashamed or ever feel left out um, because every child's got, you know, um, their moment. <laughs> and um, we, yeah, we try to make it as inclusive as possible. And um, I think I didn't get to talk about it too much, but during the pandemic, I think it really, you know, this time really, it showed us how much of a relationship we have developed and how much clinicians, you know, really dedicate so much to their to the families and you build relationships by listening. And I think that during the pandemic, it really was about listening to one another and what was happening and everyone was kind of off. I mean, even, even our team, you know, we're having to transition everything to computers <laughs> and ele electronics. And that, that whole process, I think just made those relationships even stronger. And I could even see them getting stronger with the children as well. Um, not to mention, this is the perfect modality to coach because we literally can't be there. <laughs> so coaching is like a whole other thing um, that, you know, I think we've been able to, to work on even more um, as you know, we 
we can't be as hands-on. <laughs> no other choice. And really using everything at home, right? So OTs didn't have a gym. Music, music therapists didn't have a, instruments to give. You know, we only had our, our guitars at home. And so really having to come up with some different ways to engage the child using the things that they had at home or sometimes not using anything at all and just having the parent there doing movement or rocking with them or singing a song using finger plays. Um, you know, you, you really you really get creative and, and it's great because it teaches the parent to be creative. You don't need all these toys. You just need yourself, like you're the toy. <laughs> and I think what makes you the most exciting toy is bringing in that affect and that like that range in your play in your body and your voice and um you know that that is just so so connects with music because music has such a range um and so you know it's really a great um partnership of those of those things right and if people want to learn more about some of the things we've spoken about, look at affectautism.com. You can do a search for PCDA or Juliana, and you can look at today's blog post this week. Um, and I'll have links to a bunch of these things I've mentioned. And I'm just thinking of some of the pandemic topics, podcasts that I've done, like with Dave Nelson in Atlanta about online schooling, how they've they transitioned to online at uh, Threshold Community Services. And another one I did with Morgan Weissman um, about different kinds of um, online things they've done at the Rebecca School. So I'll put links to all of these things um, and uh, links to, uh, while before we go, I'm going to share my screen for the PCDA website that people can look up, pcdateam.org. And uh, do you have a special thing under here, here, creative arts under services. And there, oops, there we are. Music therapy, adapted music lessons, adapted art classes, creative arts summer program. I, I don't know if your summer program is happening. It's not, it's on a slight hiatus, but we will be back when, you know, when everything's settled. Yeah, <laughs> we're yeah. not in the middle of a pandemic, but that that is a whole other uh, program that we offer for, um, for children um, who, can't join conventional summer camps so you guys can and you can see there's a video here there's pictures and so uh that link will be up as well at affectautism.com to pcda so thank you so much juliana for for sharing all of this with us thank you for having me and i just want to say we our team loves your website it's you know as clinicians we go there just to gain clarity because sometimes it's a lot of information, but the way you organize your information is fantastic. And it really helps us as clinicians to be able to communicate with parents what we're trying to do. So thank you for creating Affect Autism. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I hope that parents get a lot out of it. Uh, just different topics each week on how to use fuller time with your children in your lives at home and and all the different services that are available i always feel for the people that see these podcasts and say oh there's nothing like that where i live but again that's where the virtual comes in and also 
people that are aspiring, I always hope like maybe there's some university students listening and they think this is what I want to do for a living. And then they open up a floor time clinic in their city. You know, like I'm, I'm always hoping we can, you know, pick up, you know, one person at a time to jump on the developmental approach train and continue to provide these kinds of wonderful services for families. Absolutely. <laughs> so again, thank you for all you do. Thank you to everybody at your clinic and uh, thanks for this podcast today. Thank you, Daria. <laughs> Until next time, here's to affecting autism through playful interactions. If you're a caregiver looking to implement your own floor time approach, please check the ICDL parent website at the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning for virtual floor time consultation or for the weekly parent support meetings. We aim to help you implement your program at home using the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model, or DIR. Taking into account your child's developmental level, their individual differences, and using your relationship with them to help promote and support their development.